distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. Alberta has emerged as somewhat of a villain in this election. You bought a pipeline. You can't be a climate leader and spend 10 to $13 billion more on a project that by itself blows through our carbon budget. Okay. What do you think about this idea of an equalization based on gas emissions? Those who are over the average emissions of Canada pay, and those who are under the average emissions get the money. The incentive We're, is for both parts. What we have. He says he wants to fight the climate crisis. What does he do? He continues to subsidize oil and gas massively. He says he's a climate leader. What does he do? He buys a pipeline. We're putting a price on pollution right across the country, and we are fighting those conservative premiers who do not want uh, to do their part to fight climate change. We recognize that transition to clean energy. Polls show a minority government is a very real possibility, leaving the Liberals and the NDP in particular to scramble for left-wing voters. Both are trying to talk up an anti-oil message. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Today, I'm joined by National Post Alberta correspondent Tyler Dawson. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and please leave us a rating and a review. Audio from the debate, courtesy of the Canada Debate Production Partnership. So, Tyler, through the first weeks of the campaign, Alberta at times felt like a bit of an afterthought. Justin Trudeau made a whistle-stop appearance here. Andrew Scheer showed up for a couple of announcements. But issues that I think Albertans are really concerned about weren't really bubbling up. It It was more about kind of, do you trust Justin Trudeau? Do you worry that Andrew Scheer's gonna cut spending? That was the kind of the main focus of the two main parties. All of that kind of blew up during the debate last week when Alberta really kind of came in the crosshairs, mm-hmm. as it were. Let's jump back a bit to last week's English language debate, uh, and I believe it was the block leader who who really kind of squarely focused on uh, his opposition in Alberta. Yeah, it was really interesting. So Yves-Francois Blanchet, the uh, block leader, sort of talked about how in criticizing Trudeau, he said, look, money from the rest of the country, including Quebec, has helped build the oil and gas industry in Alberta. And now Alberta is trying to hold us hostage over something like equalization. And, you know, you bought a pipeline for Alberta, you bought the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So, you know, we're feeling a bit down about this. So it was kind of interesting because, you know, Alberta and Quebec are strange bedfellows, but bedfellows nonetheless quite often. But Blanchette sort of used Alberta as a boogeyman in a couple different instances in this debate, which I was surprised by. And and I, I got the sense that other observers were a little bit surprised by this as well. And then from there, it, it kind of, it snowballed a little bit mm-hmm. because you had, once the pipeline came into the discussion, the debate, you had the NDP and the Green Party pile on and talk mm-hmm. about how, 
climate leaders don't build pipelines. You had uh, Justin Trudeau pile on Alberta's premier talking about mm-hmm. how he'll stand up to people like Jason Kenney. And you went from having Alberta kind of wondering, well, what about us to, hey, whoa, <laughs> just hold on a second. Why are we all of a sudden the villains in this debate? Why does Alberta make a convenient villain in this election? I think certainly part of it is that it, with this new sort of bombastic stance that Jason Kenney and the UCP government are taking, you know, they would say this is taking a leaf out of Quebec's playbook and standing up boisterously for Alberta's interests mm-hmm. um, and Albertans' interests. And, you know, in the same way that Quebec has found itself in previous years as being sort of the whipping boy, um, I think Alberta's in that position too. And for a lot of the parties, basically every party except for Andrew Shear's party, they are... Alberta's maybe for them a write-off a little bit. So in in giving Alberta a swift kick over the oil and gas industry, that's that's not necessarily hurting them in the places where they need to gain seats, I think. Well, that makes sense for, you know, Yves-Francois Blanchet and the Bloc Québécois. It makes sense for Jagmeet Singh and mm-hmm. the NDP, although, you know, as it stands right now, they still have a seat in play in Edmonton. And mm-hmm. that, you know, I guess that makes sense for Elizabeth May and the Green Party, but doesn't make sense for Justin Trudeau, really, seeing as he's the one who has claimed to be a defender of Alberta's oil industry. He's the one who's claimed that, yes, mm-hmm. we bought this uh, $4.5 billion pipeline. We're going to expand it. We're going to help increase market access for Alberta's oil. Why does he feel he can have it both ways on this? Yeah. my uh, I would presume that he feels that way because... The every election, the liberals do this thing where they say, oh, vote for us, vote for us, vote for us. And then they get to a point in the election where they say, oh, don't vote vote for the NDP because a vote for the NDP is a vote for the conservatives. And their concern being that there's going to be a split in the vote on the left. So I think probably what they're doing is trying to stake out some of the ground that the NDP is occupying in places like Ontario and British Columbia. So if, if anti-pipeline sentiment is a reasonably popular uh, view in places where the liberals need to pick up seats, it it does make sense, I think, from a tactical point of view, to be, you know, a bit of a petroleum skeptic when you're in these areas to say that, look, you don't vote for the NDP because it's going to be a vote for the conservatives. And also, maybe we're not as pro-oil as you thought, so you can feel good about voting for us. Now, Justin Trudeau has made no bones that, you know, he wants to to push uh, a price on carbon. They call mm-hmm. it, a, the Liberal Party calls it a, a price on pollution. Uh, they're proponents of a carbon tax. They're, they say they're proud of their environmental record. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they've, they've been steadfast in building Trans Mountain Pipeline and, and helping Alberta get market access, helping us get a better mm-hmm. price for uh, our oil. Do you get the sense he's starting to waver on that commitment as we approach election day? I th- I think a cynic would say so. Yeah. And maybe even someone who's more cynical might say that that is a ploy to get votes in areas where he needs them. Mm-hmm. And that because I mean it, it's politics, right? You can say one thing on the campaign trail and turn around and do something totally different once you're in power. So if you say, "Oh, well, we're, you know, hemming and hawing on oil and gas and we're you know, maybe maybe we will accept the NDP's support and maybe we will, you know, be okay with their conditions that no pipelines are being built. But they can sort of turn around and and change their minds on that if they want to. So 
that's not a good answer to your question, but I think from a strategic point of view, that's probably what they're going for here is trying to weasel their way down the middle ground in hopes that it turns out for them electorally. Now, as as we're into the last seven days of the campaign, this starts to become a lot more important for the parties as polling is showing it's not as cut and dry as it, it possibly was four weeks ago, yeah. six months ago. What are, what are we seeing right now happening with when it comes to, to polling numbers? And I know yeah. that polling doesn't necessarily predict the election, but it gives us a snapshot of where things are at right now. And right now, parties are starting to panic a little. Why is that? Mainly, I think, because we're looking at a minority government in some combination or permutation. Um, and what that probably means is that Jagmeet Singh's New Democrats are going to be the power broker. And so the Liberals, obviously, if they are pro-Alberta, would like to have a majority because they don't want to be beholden to the NDP's environmental stance and, and stance on the oil industry. And then the Conservatives are presumably panicking because if there is a minority, even if they win a minority by parliamentary convention, the Liberals get the first shot at forming a government. Mm -hmm. um, so th they need a clear-cut majority to have a pretty easy go of it afterwards. And it also doesn't seem like there's any party, any other party that is prepared to support the, the Conservatives to prop them up to form sort of a coalition government. Uh, the, the Bloc maybe, but you know certainly. The NDP and the Greens aren't going to support Andrew Scheer's party in forming government. So, you know, when you have such a close race between the NDP and the Conserv or the Liberals and the Conservatives, and you've a reasonably close chunk of polling between the Greens and the NDP, and even the Bloc is a not inconsequential force in Quebec, mm -hmm. you uh, we have a setup for a very very unstable parliament. Which I'm in favor of this to be clear, because nope. I think uh, I think it forces people to work together and create good policy. Um, but if if you are a political animal who really, you know, believes that you have the sort of divine right to pass your agenda, this is this is not a good setup to get anything done in the next handful of years. Yeah, we, we had almost five and a half years of minority parliaments under mm -hmm. uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And uh, I think a lot of people would argue that there was, you know, there was some change under the Harper government, but it was, it was moderate change. Mm -hmm. It was incremental change. It wasn't big sweeping change. And I think it did force, uh, the parties to work together, but going back to the, the issue of Alberta and how Alberta became a target right. in the leaders debates, a minority government isn't necessarily a good thing for Alberta, or potentially is not a good right. thing for Alberta. No, I mean, certainly not in some ways, depending who the power broker is. I mean, since it's likely to be the NDP, no, that's not especially good for Alberta. And then to jump back to the block, because I didn't mention this at the beginning, was this bizarre thing that Blanchette mentioned, which he was calling green equalization. <laughs> um, and so as we all know, you know, Jason Kenney has been big on equalization as an issue that he would like to see uh, renegotiated in some capacity. He's threatened a referendum, which it's unclear what that would actually do. A, a referendum where Albertans vote on per continued participation, I guess. Um, but this green equalization idea was that there would be a carbon tax and equalization would be funded via this carbon tax. So basically high emissions provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan would pay more into this equalization program and low emissions provinces such as Quebec would be the beneficiaries 
of this. And oddly, the person that leaped to the defense of Alberta in the English debate was Liz May, the Green Party leader, who hmm. said, you know, you can't, you're not going to convince people to change. You're not going to, you know, have solid environmental policy by sort of clubbing people around the head with more and more taxes and making their lives more and more expensive and difficult. So, and Blanchette was sort of like, well, that's not, that's out of line with your previous sentiments about Alberta. So it was, you know, it was a very weird sort of reversal of roles or confusion of roles in the debate. But uh, yeah, so that, that that was the other thing that the bloc did. So one could maybe be justifiably nervous, uh, no matter who the power broker is in a coalition scenario. Now, has, has Jagmeet Singh at all softened his position on the pipeline in the event that it means he and his party have a larger role to play in a minority government? It doesn't seem like it. Not no. that I've seen. No, but it but it puts Justin Trudeau in a really difficult position, which came up in, I think it was Windsor on, must have been Monday night, where he was being pushed on this. Because if, if Singh is going to be the person supporting his government, and if it's a big priority for the NDP to not have Trans Mountain built and to whatever scale back the oil sands or or hold them at the development they're at now, whatever the outcome of that might be. Well, that that does put Trudeau in a position where he has a little bit of explaining to do because if you're a liberal voter in Alberta or Saskatchewan or even a pro-energy liberal voter anywhere else in the country, you would be a little bit concerned, I think, that the power broker here is going to oppose your interests. Now, there's been a lot of talk leading up to the election about how if uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals win a second mandate, that it really stokes the idea of Western separation or Alberta separation. And there are others who feel like, no, like we can work within a federalist system, but we need to have our concerns met. What happens if there's a second Liberal mandate and they bow to pressure from other parties in a minority parliament and say, okay, we're going to kill the pipeline that we built. Yeah, that would not be good <laughs> to put it, to put it mildly. Um, uh, the, the main problem with sort of Western alienation and Alberta separatism becoming a thing at the moment is, well, it's a twofold problem, actually. You don't have enough people that subscribe to this as an idea who are willing to sort of commit to it and to commit to the groundwork to get it done. The second thing that is not presently in place is a leader. Um, you 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 can't really have a separatist movement if the premier is not a separatist mm -hmm. or if the leader of any major party is not a separatist. Now, Jason Kenney has been, you know, quite clear, I would say, over the past year or so that he is a federalist. Could his opinions change on this? I would like to think not. I think he's a genuine guy in that regard. But you know, there's certainly going to be a bubbling up of resentment and anger. But the question is sort of what can be done with that. And, mm -hmm. you know, realistically speaking, I don't know if anything can be done other than people are going to complain for the next five years. Yeah. Now, as it stands, the, the parties, for the most part, are running a campaign as though they're in it to win, especially the liberals and the conservatives. Like Justin Trudeau has been trying to downplay yeah. the idea of cooperating with anybody. Mm -hmm. They're campaigning in ridings uh, where they don't hold seats. They're looking to expand their vote base. Will this talk kind of dog the leaders until we hit election day, or are they trying to put a, a stop to it for now? At a certain point, 
Justin Trudeau can say, vote for us, we're going to form a majority, we're going to stop conservative cuts. He can say that all he wants. But at a certain point, what that campaign needs to do and probably will do is say, look, there's a risk of an unstable minority. There's a risk in that case that we will not be able to fulfill our agenda. We will not be able to Maybe they maybe they start saying that, look, if you don't vote for the liberals and you end up voting for the NDP, maybe they'll support the conservatives. Maybe this will lead to a conservative government that will be really bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I think they can ignore it for the time being, but at a certain point in the next week or so, well, six days now, I guess, they, I think, are likely to address it to try and put an end to this idea of strategic voting and or maybe in favor of strategic voting and vote for the liberals in order to stop the conservatives or vice versa, as opposed to voting where you might want. Mm-hmm. And I, I expect that's where it'll go. Um, but then again, you know, their, their polling numbers might show completely different things. That is always a possibility that the polls are not exceptionally indicative of what, uh, what the parties are aware of yeah, on the ground. And, and I guess, you know, no matter what the polling says now, there could be a situation where on election night, voters go into the voting booths and decide, Hey, I'm not going to worry about the well, polls. I'm going to vote my uh, my conscience, and then yeah. we'll see where things go come October 22nd. Tyler, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Tyler Dawson. More from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.